Would you please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 15. I believe this will be the last Sunday we are in this chapter. I see a number of visitors, which I'm glad for you to be here. Uh, But I want to catch you up a little bit. The book of Acts is the inspired record of the early spread of the gospel and the building up of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. While on earth, Jesus told his disciples, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now that promise reverberated with absolute and unwavering confidence that the Lord Jesus would accomplish what He had set out to do, and that is to build His church. It also contains an ominous warning that there would be fierce opposition from the prince of darkness. The gates of hell, He speaks of those seeking to prevail against it. Now we're only halfway through our study of the book of Acts and we've already seen many and various attacks of Satan upon the church. We have seen him use persecution, which was intended to physically destroy and intimidate the church. We've seen him use false doctrine to poison the very gospel itself. He doesn't mind if we take a gospel and take it to the world as long as it's not the true gospel. Now this morning we're going to see another tool in his arsenal. As our brother said, if one thing doesn't work, he'll use something else. This one tool has been used by him from the very beginning. It's a tool that's proven to be very effective. One that has caused great havoc in the church of Christ. And that tool is the fires of contention among the brethren. We're going to look at an example of that this morning. It's a very sad example. A heartbreaking example of two men, two very good men, very godly men. Two of the very best men that's ever lived in this world. The great Apostle Paul and Barnabas, the son of encouragement. And what makes it such a very sad example is that these two men had labored side by side in the cause of Christ and in the spread of the gospel and in the building up of the body of Christ, the church. For the past several chapters in the book of Acts, wherever you see one, you'll find the other. Where you see Paul, you see Barnabas. Where you see Barnabas, you see Paul. They were that close. You remember that soon after Paul's conversion, when he was known as Saul of Tarsus, that great persecutor of the church. You remember when God converted him wonderfully on that road to Damascus and Paul came to Jerusalem and he tried to join with the disciples, but they were afraid of him and for good reason. They didn't believe that he was a disciple. And it was Barnabas, though, who took him and brought him to the apostles and he vouched for Paul. He vouched for the reality of his conversion and the great change that had taken place in his life. And that though he was once persecuting the church, he's preaching the very gospel that he once tried to destroy. And he was able to persuade the brethren to now receive him as a brother. 
We see that Barnabas had great clout in the church. He was a respectable man. Well, these two men also worked closely together in the newly formed church in Antioch. They were teaching and strengthening many people together. And then when there was a benevolence offering taken up, a relief offering taken up for the church in Jerusalem, they sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Paul. And after they fulfilled their ministry in Jerusalem, they returned together to the church in Antioch and continued to labor there again side by side. It was there the church of Antioch and the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them to do. And after the church fasted and prayed and laid hands on these two men, these two divinely selected men, they sent them out in that first missionary journey, the very first Christian missionary journey. And the hand of the Lord was on these two men. After completing the work, they returned together and having gathered the church there in Antioch, it says they reported all that God had done with them and that they had opened the door and that he, that is God, had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And it says they stayed there a long time with the disciples, perhaps a couple of years. And it's a good thing they were there in the church of Antioch for they were the right men, the right place at the right time. Because certain men came down from the Jerusalem church and began teaching some notoriously false doctrine. They were teaching that if you wanted to be saved, you had to believe in Christ, of course, but you had to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. And it was Paul and Barnabas who together withstood them. And it was determined that Paul and Barnabas should take this matter up to the church in Jerusalem and find out what's going on and bring the question to them. And again, it was Paul and Barnabas there who stood up and declared to that august assembly how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And the people listened intently to these two men. And when they returned to Antioch and delivered the letter from Jerusalem, the Jerusalem council that is, we read in chapter 15, verse 35, it says, Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord and with many others also. And so now we come to our text, which we're going to read verses 36 through 41. Then after some, some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now, Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. 
And so what we see, first of all, is there's this good and reasonable proposal. We looked at this last week, uh, but in case you weren't there, let me just briefly bring you up to speed on that, that Barnabas and Saul were called by the Spirit, as I mentioned earlier, and sent out by the church in Antioch to take the gospel to the Gentile world. And they traveled hundreds of miles northwest up through Asia Minor, preaching in every city along the way. And God blessed them and blessed the work for which He had called them. And many were converted and churches were, were born and established and elders were appointed. And they returned back to the church in Antioch. And then they'd been there for some time teaching the people there, maybe uh, a year or more. Now, Paul here comes to Barnabas with this proposal. Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Let's see what's going on with them in their lives and in their beliefs and doctrines and so forth and see if there's any way we can help them. And uh, you see this wonderful unity in this proposal. Notice that a bit closer in verse 36. Let us, you and me, Barnabas, go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. It was a collective effort to go. Now let's go back and check them out. There's this wonderful, beautiful unity uh, between these two men. Barnabas, it appears, is in full agreement. There's this great proposal. That's a wonderful proposal. He was all in. It makes sense. It, it makes sense that they should go together. They both had a vested interest in these churches. They both had preached. They'd seen these converts. They got to know the people somewhat. Two are better than one. They have a history of working very well together. And the brethren will, uh, will they, they know both of these men. And so it was a good proposal. But then we see in verses 37 through 38 a sharp disagreement. It says, now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia. So you can see from the outset that there's a potential for a very serious problem. Notice that Barnabas was determined and Paul insisted. Now you got a problem. <laughs> you got a problem. You, there's an unstoppable force meets an immovable object. These two men, they were set in what they believed should or should not take place. The disagreement was over whether or not to bring John Mark with them this time, he had gone with them earlier, the last trip. But in chapter 13, we read they didn't go so well. They went to Cyprus, but then when they got to the coast of Asia Minor, it says, uh, now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, and when they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. That's all we're told. We're not told a reason why. We're not given any more information that John was with them, and he went back. Now, this indicates there was a lot more to the whole story. We don't know all of the details, but we know that it was not uh, leaving on good terms, at least not with Paul. We're only told that he departed, nothing more. But we see here that it was something more serious. 
We're still not told the reason, and many have speculated. Maybe John Mark, he was a young man. Maybe he was homesick. Uh, maybe he missed his mother's cooking. Uh, maybe he was afraid. Maybe he saw the dangers that they were greater and more than he imagined. Maybe uh, maybe he took up a reproach against his cousin Barnabas. Maybe you didn't know that, but Barnabas was the cousin of John Mark. Maybe he took a, up a reproach for his cousin when he saw that Paul began to emerge now as the leader. In fact, you even see, it talks about Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. Then it changes. Now it's Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas. And in those, when we read chapters 13 and 14, we see often and mostly Paul speaking. Maybe he took up an offense. You remember how the disciples of John the Baptist took up an offense against Jesus. He's baptizing more than we are. What's happening here? And John said, he must increase and I must decrease. So it's not saying that Barnabas had any jealousy, but sometimes we can have jealousy for others. Well, maybe that's what happened. We, re- we really don't know. Um, um, whatever the issue was, Paul insisted that they not bring him with him, with them this time. And maybe he thought that enough time had not elapsed. Maybe he's concerned that the same thing could happen again. Barnabas was determined to bring him, it says. We assume now that John Mark is willing to go, wants to go. Barnabas believes that whatever the issue was, it has been resolved and and that he's ready to try again. Well, the question is always asked, well, who was right in the situation? Paul or Barnabas? Now, there's a possibility that they were both wrong or a possibility in some sense they were both right. Most people who have thought through this issue have an opinion of who they think was right. Some side with Barnabas and others with Paul. Sometimes it's based upon our own personality. I'm more like Barnabas, or I like that kind of guy more than the one with a hard, fast no. Well, Barnabas, look at him. He's called the encourager. He believed in second chances. He's first mentioned back in Acts chapter 4. As one of those who had some land, you remember when they were selling their land and bringing to the apostles and laying the proceeds at their feet? That's when Ananias and Sapphira got in on the act and they they lied about what they put. Well, Barnabas, though, it it tells us that that, uh, he was one of those who had some land and sold it and he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. He was a very generous man. The next time we meet him is in Acts chapter 9, soon after the conversion of Paul. And we see uh, how um, he is the one who introduced him to the church in Jerusalem. He, he had faith in Paul. He, he believed in him. Uh, the others were ready to reject him. He listened to him and he thought, no, he is, a, he is a Christian. This is real. And so he introduced them. And then we see him again in Acts chapter 11. The church in Jerusalem heard there was something happening in Antioch. All these Gentiles were getting converted and God was doing something there. He was saving a number of Gentiles. So what did they do? They sent Barnabas to check it out. And when he came, it says he saw the grace of God and was glad. And he encouraged them with that with all purpose of heart, they should continue in the Lord. So 
Keep on what you're doing. Follow the Lord. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Follow His Word. He encouraged them. And then it says this about this dear brother Barnabas. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. What a wonderful tribute to this good man. Would you like that written about you? Hmm. Then uh, after that, it says Barnabas there being working with them there in Antioch. He's the one who departed for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. And so it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. Oh, he, he saw potential in people and he used them and God used him through this. And then Paul, well, writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, he admonishes Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-7. through 7. I won't read the whole passage, but he says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore, Timothy, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I'm saying, oh, I'd rather have somebody just encourage me. Put your arm around me. Tell me what a good job I'm doing. Barnabas or Paul is saying, you be a good soldier. A good soldier. <clears throat> and he goes on to say, you be a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. You must endure hardship. Apostle Paul knew all too well what was involved in these missionary trips. They weren't for children. That's for sure. You remember, and I quoted this from last week, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He speaks about the things he had experienced on these missionary journeys. We think, oh, they're just going out, telling everybody about Jesus, handing out tracts, and then they come back. Oh, that's far from it. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Night and day I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils in water, perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils in the false among the false brethren. In weariness and in toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. That might be why John Mark said, I'm going home. <laughs> Paul may well have been thinking practically. Anybody who goes with us, we need to know that we can count on them. You see, it, it, again, it's not just handing out tracts. The whole journey itself, they needed people that would be a support wouldn't be dead weight and certainly wouldn't abandon them in the middle of it all. I was reading something about Lewis and Clark and their expedition and just trying to find out what, how did they choose their company? They had 40 men that went with them on their expedition. And, and here's one of the things that Lewis says from his journal in 1805, and it speaks volumes about the character of the men they brought. And their tone, he says, at this moment, every individual is in excellent spirits, zealously attached to the enterprise and anxious to proceed. Not a whisper of discontent. All the unison act with the most perfect harmony. 
With such men I have everything to hope and have but little to fear. Had the right men. Well, maybe that's what Paul was thinking and that's reasonable. That's very reasonable. And you don't want to go on a hunch that it's going to be okay. And so he was thinking practically. Matthew Henry said, perhaps he was thinking, if a man deceived me once, it's his fault, but if if twice, it's my own for trusting him. Solomon says, quoting Proverbs 25, 19, confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint, which will hardly be used again. Hmm. Maybe that's what he's thinking. Good point. Or maybe he may have been thinking principally that no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Say, well, that's harsh. Remember who spoke those words. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. So maybe he was thinking principally, maybe we shouldn't bring this man. Maybe not now. Maybe it's too early to tell. Well, who was right? One of the Puritans wisely said, it's not fit for my meanness. I think he meant it's above my pay grade to make myself a judge between such famous apostles. <laughs> These are good men. Who are we to think we know we know better? We know who's right. We know who's wrong. He said this, I will say with submission that Paul's proceedings were grounded upon justice and discipline Barnabas, his motion was grounded upon gentleness and humanity. Many of the wiser sort, he says, I think will vote with Paul. This is written back in the 1600s, by the way. Many of the wiser sort, I think, will vote with Paul and that the greater part of men will vote with Barnabas. <laughs> well, there you go. There's a problem. A division. We have divisions all the time. The church is known of divisions and they're sad. They're always sad. But then it went from a disagreement. There's a proposal, a disagreement, and then there was a separation. For it says in verse 39, then the contention became so sharp that they departed from one another. And Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed being commended by the brethren. So that's the saddest part of all, isn't it, of the whole episode. These two good men, these close brothers, separated. And Matthew Henry said, Barnabas was peremptory that he would not go with Paul unless they took John Mark with them. Paul was peremptory that he would not go if John didn't go with him. Neither would yield, and therefore there's no remedy but that they must part. They couldn't reach any kind of agreement. So the separation was the saddest part of all, and in a sense, inevitable. Barnabas with John Mark goes his way. Paul with Silas goes his way. They'll never labor together again. In fact, this is the last time we'll read of Barnabas in the entire book of Acts. We've been seeing him all the way from chapter 4 till now, the first half. 
And then we don't hear of him anymore. Now, that doesn't mean he departed from the faith or anything like that, but we never hear of him again. We certainly never hear of them together again. I believe there are some indications that their differences had been resolved in some way, but they never worked together again. I wonder what those young churches and those young believers thought when they they heard of this sharp division when Paul goes to visit those churches that they both planted. What did these young believers think? It had to be somewhat discouraging at least, don't you think? It's always discouraging when a young believer hears of divisions in the church and uh, brothers and sisters in Christ fighting. When they first became Christian, when they first came to Christ and they were introduced into the family of God, the church, and they thought, oh, I've never been around such people. I remember the contrast when I lost so many friends after I became a Christian. Many people said, no, I'm done with you. If you're going to walk, you're going to walk as a Christian. I have nothing to do with you. And they left. But I wasn't too sad because I gained so many friends, wonderful friends. But then you put them up on a pedestal and you think they're so good. They're so godly. They're so everything. And then you come to find out they've got their issues. They've got their problems. They've got disagreements among themselves. Well, that's very discouraging. It's interesting that in the book of Acts chapter 15, which we looked at that great council of Jerusalem dealing with this large issue of heresy, they were able to resolve it peacefully and joyfully. But here's a little matter they couldn't resolve. Something strange about that, isn't it? The issue of contentions and separations have plagued the church ever since. The reasons are various and there are almost as many as there are instances of it. There are all kinds of problems. People separate over all kinds of... They separate over doctrinal issues, which sometimes is the right thing to do if if heresy is involved, certainly. But they can divide over personality issues. They can divide because this person didn't say hi to me. They can have all kinds of issues and all kinds of problems. And we see how this disagreement went to a sharp division and contention among these brethren. It's a sad thing. Proverbs 17 tells us the beginning of strife is like releasing the water. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. Well, who was right? Well, I don't want to enter into that. I think I've given you why I think this one may have been right or wrong here or this one may have been right or wrong here. But we are not going to be able to resolve the issue. But we can discover some valuable lessons that I want us to look at just a few this morning. First of all, we learn that men, even the very best of men, are still men at best. And sinners at that. I always add that last phrase to that cliche. They're sinners at that because often people will excuse themselves for almost anything with the reminder, well, I'm just human. But you see, it's not our humanness that's the problem. It's our sinfulness. Adam and Eve were created upright. It wasn't because they were human they sinned. In, in, in heaven, we're going to be human. But we're not going to sin. 
So it's not our, our humanness, it's our sinful nature, that remaining corruption that still cleaves to each and every one of us, even as Christians. Born again, yes. All things are new. Behold, old is past, the new has come. What a, what a day of rejoicing. Things have changed. A new heart. I'll take out that old stony heart and give you a heart of flesh. But you know what? It's not a perfect heart of flesh. We still have sin. There's still that remaining sin and corruption, even in the very best of men. And so in a fallen world, conflict and disagreement are unavoidable. We don't live among angels, even in the church. We're not in heaven yet. We're perfect peace and love reigns. And this ought to make us thankful to God that there are not more divisions and separations than there are. Right? Our own hearts, we want to get angry with people. We want to get upset with people. We, we don't want to let something go. And it causes problems. It should make us long for heaven. But we live here now. We live among sinners and we're sinners ourselves. And so we need to remind that and we learn that even here, these two good men, Barnabas is loving and encouraging and all that he was, was still a sinner. The Apostle Paul, though an apostle, though he wrote by the inspiration of God, Paul was a sinner too. As our brother reminded us, he said, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, those I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? We are sinners still. But also, it teaches us that we need to take heed. If this can happen to two such good and godly men, men who loved Christ, who loved the church, who loved one another, if it can happen to them, we need to take care to ourselves lest we fall in the same way. And thirdly, we must never use this example as an excuse of our own for our own contentions. <laughs> How do we do that? Well, didn't didn't Paul do this? Didn't didn't he have a problem? Didn't he didn't they just split and go their ways? That gives me the right. Didn't Paul tell us to follow his example? Yes, but with this qualification, as I follow Christ. And no further. As I follow Christ. Matthew Henry said, it is only Christ's example that is a copy without blot. I mean, we are to follow the good examples of our brothers and sisters in Christ. But if you're expecting a perfect example... You need to look to Christ. He is our perfect example. But we still follow good examples knowing that they're still sinners. We don't follow their sin, but we follow them in their goodness and their righteousness and their kindness. But the fourth lesson is we must remember that this is not the end of the story. First of all, God used this unhappy occasion to further His kingdom. <laughs> He's able to use such a tragic separation to multiply and spread the Gospel. First, it was going to be 
Paul and Barnabas going in the same direction, but they split and went in opposite directions. Well, that meant the gospel was being spread in opposite directions now. And God is able to use such a tragic separation to multiply the spread of the gospel. They cover more ground. The kingdom is enlarged. Christ continues to build His church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God still used them. I saw one sermon on this passage entitled, God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. Isn't that so? He used these two men, as fallible as they were, to still take the gospel and God's ways. God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. We don't know how God does this, but He can even use these two men with their stubborn hearts to take the gospel. That doesn't mean He's the author or approver of sin. But God can overrule it for good. The Bible says that even the wrath of man will praise Him. But also, it wasn't the end of the story. For Barnabas, though we hear no more of his ministry, his name is brought up several times in Paul's epistles, which indicates that he kept right on serving the Lord. He didn't, he didn't depart from the faith. He departed from Saul, but he didn't depart from the faith. And that's not always so. People get upset with someone. They get in a fight. They get in an argument. And they walk out the door of the church and say, I'm never going to a church ever again. And often, and usually, that leads to departing from Christ. Over time, they become less and less spiritually minded. And pretty soon, it doesn't even matter. They start changing their theology and everything else. But not so with Barnabas. It also isn't the last time we hear of John Mark. Paul mentions him in the second letter to Timothy. I'd like you to turn there very quickly. Second Timothy chapter four. We're going to read about Timothy next week, Lord willing, in chapter 16, when Paul meets Timothy for the first time and recruits him for their missionary endeavor. He's writing here to Second Timothy. Paul's advanced in age now. It's, he's in a Roman prison. And notice in chapter 4, he's giving these final instructions to Timothy. And, and he says, Be diligent, verse 9, to come to me quickly. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Boy, Apostle Paul had some heartaches in his life. Well, And then he goes on to say, uh, speak of others, but in verse 11, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. For what? Look at that. Well, he is useful to me for the ministry. What What a statement. I mean, that shows that God didn't abandon John Mark, but kept working in him. Um, In Colossians chapter 4.10, he speaks of uh, Aristocrus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. So Barnabas is there work. I mean, Mark is working with him there. Well, what happened? 
what do you suppose happened? What's the change here? We don't know. <laughs> but something happened. Something changed. Something changed in both John Mark and in Paul. We know that Barnabas was that encourager. That's what his nickname meant. It wasn't his real name. That's what the apostles gave him because he was such an encourager. And that's why they gave it to him. And I have no doubt that his encouragement was a great help to this young man. He didn't give up on his younger cousin. He knew what he did. He knew it wasn't right abandoning them back in Pamphylia. But he demonstrated his confidence in him by taking him along on his missionary trip. And that must have helped him. I'm sure he talked to him quite a bit. I'm sure he did what he could to prepare him and to keep him strong. Paul, we know, took a much harder line with Mark's failure and showed greater disappointment. So much so that he said, no, he can't go. He cannot go with us. However, I cannot but think that that too must have played a part in Mark's sanctification and, and his preparation for greater usefulness in the ministry. Whether he heard the Apostle Paul say it himself or he heard it from Barnabas, those words must have hurt. Barnabas, no. Look what he did. We can't have that again. And God will even use things like that to work in us. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, the Bible says. Let the righteous smite me, the wise man said. Maybe the hardships along the way would have overtaken him again and he would have been tempted to go back. But now he had something to prove. Maybe he had something to prove. He thought highly of Paul. He thought, I've got to do it. I've got to do it. And so much so that he gained the confidence of Paul over time. Now, I don't know how long that took. It may have taken years. I don't know. But he still, he still pressed on and he grew and things changed so much so Paul says, Bring Mark. He, he, he's useful. Useful to me. What a, what a wonderful thing. That's showing the God's grace not only in John Mark, but in Paul too. He didn't hold a grudge. I don't think he was holding a grudge anyway. I think he was above that. But still, now he's able to see. He was, you know, some people get the opinion about somebody, and that's it. I remember back in... Bible college. I was new to college and all that and got there and I heard this teacher over there, he's going to peg you as soon as you walk in the, your, your first cl few classes. He's going to peg you. You're an A student, a B student, C student, or D student. And you won't be able to get above that. You can write the, you stay up all night writing paper and you're still going to get the B minus or whatever. You never get above that because they peg you. Well, that's a relatively innocent thing. Not to the student, but uh, we can peg people. Oh, they're this way or they're that way. They'll never change. But by the grace of God, they can change. And by the grace of God, they will change. And Paul saw that. That he had changed. Something was different now with him and he's useful to me. And we see that God is so patient and kind and gentle with us. His grace is sufficient. 
He who had begun a good work in this young man was able to continue that work and to complete it. So this teaches us how patient we ought to be with one another. Here's this John Mark, a good young man. Far from perfect young man. He had his weaknesses. He wasn't fit for that particular ministry. But God was able to continue working with him and in him and through him. And that's what God will do for you. Maybe you think, I'm never going to progress. I'm never going to change. Cry out to the grace of God. Cry out to the Lord. Cry out to the strong for strength. To strengthen you. When you see others that are struggling, pray for them. That God will work in them. Have some of that encouraging spirit of Barnabas. Have some of that truthful spirit of Paul. That you, you, you call it as it is. Blend them together. And God will use that in the lives of others. In the lives of your brethren. These young brethren here. Oh, we ought to pray for them. Oh, but yes, they've still got this hang up or they've got that or this. Oh, it doesn't matter. God's able to do abundantly above all that we can ask or think through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we ought to be patient with one another. Oh, we're not perfect. Not one of us. But we don't even come close to these two godly men. Don't expect too much from them But pray for much from God that He'll work in them to will and to do of His good pleasure. Let's pray. Our gracious.